right. We're going to get started here. Well, last week, Tom did a great, great job last week. I, I, re- I really enjoyed his message last week about comfort zones. And get, when, you, when you're out of your comfort zone, that's when you're in the faith zone. That's when you're trusting in God and what he can do in your life. And that's, that's amazing. And today we're going to continue on our series. We're on part five of raising our kids in the gospel. Um, so many people think that um, the gospel is just about getting people to go to heaven one day. But it's not. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is to transform our daily life. It's to transform every, everything we do. And what I've found is so often when it comes to raising our kids, we understand grace when it comes to us and God. We understand grace when it comes to the finished work of Jesus Christ. We understand the power of the Holy Spirit in salvation and making us holy and righteous and doing those transformations. We understand the power of the Holy Spirit when you're operating the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when you're praying for people. But it's amazing to me how, how we don't um, transfer that into our daily life, into the simple things of life. We, we just got done preaching a message on kingdom-focused marriages, and now we're talking about raising our kids in the gospel and how the same things that we use in church on Sunday was not meant to be boxed up in this building. It was meant to be used in your daily life, in your daily interactions with your children. You know, there's gifts of the Spirit like the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge, right? That's where the Holy Spirit gives you insight into someone else's situation. That's supernatural. There's no way you could have known it but through the Holy Spirit. And that's great to use it in church. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to use that with your kids? That you can know what they're going through. You can, you can see something that's going to happen. It, it's happened in my life. Amanda, she was in the shower one day, and she just had a vision, right, something like, of one of our daughters that was about to become a woman. And they seen, she's seen it all happen, and it, and it was, could have been a very embarrassing thing. So he, she went and talked to one, our daughter and said, take this w- with you to be prepared just in case. And guess what? It happened just like that without the embarrassment because God spoke to her, and she heard him, listened, and acted. That's kingdom parenting. That's kingdom parenting, and that is awesome. That is awesome. It's a completely different way of living. But unfortunately, we don't raise our kids in the gospel. We raise our kids in the law. And the law doesn't work. It didn't work for you, right? You still needed a Savior. If the law worked, Jesus would have never came. All the law does is point your need for salvation. You point for your, that you're, it just points out your flaws. It's a mirror, right? So we're on part five, and we're starting to make that transition. The first four, four um, weeks, we, we talked about the things that a parent needs to start changing in, in their life. And we're going to start making that transition 
to now how do you apply that change into your kids? Because we, um, two weeks ago we learned that we do not have the power within ourselves to make change in our children. Only God can do that. You can't change anybody. And you can't, sure can't change your kids. You can't change your spouse. Only God has the power to create change in the individual. But we all want change, don't we? Our kids act a certain way. They, they fight. The, the, the son might slap his uh, sister because she took his toy. And, you th- and he doesn't understand why you're yelling at him. You should be yelling at her for taking the toy because after all, he went and had to hit her if she never took his toy in the first place. And you want the son to realize that that um, that is not the way that you react when someone does something negative to you and he can't understand it. You want to see that change. We want to see it overnight. Your, your teenage daughter, you want, you, they don't understand why you're upset because they're half an hour late from the curfew. After all, it's not like I'm out doing drugs. It's not like I'm... Um, Drinking. It's not like I'm doing nothing wrong. All my other friends have a later curfew anyways. They, and they don't understand. It's, it's, about, it's about doing what you said, integrity, character, all, all of that stuff. They, and you want to see this change. You want to see them awaken to what you see. But they, they, they don't, can't do it. We all want it. But the lack of change stimulates much impatience and disappointment. We all think we have the power to produce it, but we have no power to produce change. We want parenting to be a series of events rather than a lifelong process. See, we we want each parenting situation to be the last time we ever have to face that situation again. That's exactly how our Heavenly Father Works with us, right? He never has to parent you again and again and again over the same thing, does he? No. If you're anything like me, he's still parenting me on things that he's parented me on over and over and over again. We want parenting to be a series of events, but it's actually a lifelong process. So when we dis- uh, discipline, we get loaded for bear. Because we think we're going to make a change here. When we get ready to discipline our kids, we, we get loaded for bear. We get crank, cranked up emotionally. We think if we're stern enough, if we're loud enough, and make threats big enough, we will win, and our children will instantly change. But it does not work. They do not instantly change. So, and, and you hear me say this quite often, but it's the truth. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing the same way again and again and expecting a different result. We do the same thing again and again, but instead we get louder, we get meaner, we get more stern, the, the, the threats become more, more scary, and it does not create change. And as, as go back and listen to two weeks ago on, on how you can, you can threaten your children or you can, you can buy them off, but that does not create heart change. It just, it just creates outward change for the moment to get, get past the threat or to get 
the prize that you offered if they were good. Think about how God the Father works change into our lives as his children. Because of the complete work of Jesus, we are welcome into God's family with all the rights and privileges of being his child. We have been fully justified and completely accepted, but we are not complete because there is a massive change that needs to take place in us. Now, it's not in your spirit. In your spirit, you're just like Jesus. You are born again. Jesus says that you are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, right? He actually compares you to a husband and wife becoming one, right? You are the bride of Christ. So in your spirit, you're just like him, but there is a change that has to happen. The change is not in our spirits, but it's in our minds. It's in our minds. See, the power of sin has been broken, but the presence of sin still remains and it will be progressively eradicated. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul tells us, And do not be conformed, fit into the mold of this world, that's what that means, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, renewing of the mind. If it's renewing, that means that there's something already there. And just like you need to renew your mind, your children need to renew their mind because there is something already there. They act the way that they do because of the way that they think. Right? And on top of that, they're sinners, If they haven't been born again and received the Spirit of God living within them, they see life through a total carnal way. See, most parents don't realize that. People do the things that they do because of the way they think or because they're sinners. Sinners sin. And if your child has not been born again, they're going to sin. So we don't talk this way. We just, we just look at their behavior. Their behavior is, is the, the issue. That's, not, that's the fruit. They must be born again. Sin is the root. Sin is the root. And once you, your child is born again, then you have the opportunity of renewing the mind and having the outward actions change. So you as parents, your responsibility is to find out if your kids are saved. If they're born again, to preach the gospel to them, to explain them that they need a Savior. And then after that, teaching them. this. See, see um, parenting is just like discipleship. You're discipling someone in Christ. You're discipling a person how to live in the kingdom of God. See, the Father's work of justification is the event, right? When you're born again, it's an event. You go to the altar, or you're in the car, or it's a night next to your bed, or whatever it might be. 
in that moment, in that event, you are born again. You are justified. You are complete. You're made righteous. You're made holy, not by your own holiness or your own righteousness, but through the righteousness and holiness of Jesus. Your identity changes. You are no longer a son of the devil. You're a child of the king, right? In a moment. But the work of transformation literally is a lifelong event. And you can go as fast as you want. You renew your minds to the way of God, that God works. You renew your minds through the word of God. When, when justifying you, God is fully aware that he's committing himself to a lifelong process. God is patient. It's a process of illuminating, comforting, convicting, forgiving, transforming, delivering, empowering grace to our lives. See, so many people don't realize that. When you choose to have a kid, guess what? You are committing to a lifelong process. It's not something that just happens overnight. Creating change in your, in your child just doesn't happen overnight. So many people go into that. At marriage is the same way. We're, we're doing some marriage counseling, um, premarital counseling with, with a couple right now. And, and the biggest thing that I'm trying to do is destroy their romantic idea of marriage. Because it's not always romantic. It's not always a feeling of love. It's an action. Love is an action. You choose to love. You don't feel love. And when you start choosing to love, guess what? Then the feeling happens. We get it backwards. Well, I don't feel like I love you, so I'm not going to love you. Well, then you'll never feel like you love them. No, you make a deliberate choice to love them. And guess what? The feelings come. God loves us. He chooses. He wills. His very nature is love. He wills to love you. He cannot love, not love you. He loves us before we first loved him. Look at how Paul explains this process. And 1 Timothy chapter 1 Verse 15, it says, the saying, this, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, <laughs> making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. Paul was a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was a person that was absolutely dependent on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we agree on that? That he preached over and over again, that, it, that, he, that he, there's nothing in him, and there, there's no ability in him, and, and you can't be saved through the works of the law or the flesh and it was just over and over and over again. His whole ministry was proclaiming the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why I think that he was so dependent on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he's seen himself correctly. He's seen himself as the worst sinner. Do, you, do I think that there was worse sinners than Paul? And as, as, a, as we judge, probably. 
Did Paul do some bad stuff? Yeah, he did some bad stuff. He was locking up Christians, tearing up homes. He was murdering Christians, throwing them in prison. But Paul, seen him, he had a clear vision of himself separate from Jesus Christ. He seen himself as the worst sinner, separate from Jesus Christ. And that gives you clear perspective. See, a person that is dependent on the love of God, on the grace of God, on the gospel of Jesus Christ, who's dependent on God, sees them, has a clear vision of who they are separate from God. Most people don't love. Most people don't depend on the grace of God. Why? Because you don't see yourself how you really are separate from Jesus Christ. And we do the same thing with our kids. Paul says, because, because of my own failures, because of my own, my, my, own, um, my own sin, my own inability to walk out the truth and the reality of what is in me through Jesus Christ, I'm a great example. I'm a great example for those that would come after him that would also believe upon Jesus for eternal life, that God is patient, God does the work, he creates the chains, chain, and God is loving and patient in, accept, in accepting of you. My question for you, is this the example that you're leading for your children? The same one that Paul wanted. Paul wanted the patience of God and the grace of God to be manifested in his life so it could be a witness and a testimony to others so they wouldn't get frustrated in their walk with Christ or think that God has become frustrated with them. Are you, do your children see that you are dependent on the grace of Jesus Christ, that, that, you are, that you understand that God is patient with us? And because you understand that God is patient with you, in turn, you're patient and kind and gentle and filled with grace towards your children. Because parent, change does not happen in an instant. It's a lifelong process, and it's happening in you. We are hypocrites. <laughs> we expect our kids to do something that we ourselves are not doing. And that's changing overnight. Paul is saying here, because I'm the worst of all sinners, Jesus will be able to use me as a case study of how patient and willing he is as he does his work of grace in my life. So those who also entrust themselves to Jesus will be encouraged by the extent of his patience. This is our model as parents. See, the problem with our kids, though, is that it's the blind leading the blind. Parenting would be a lot easier if all you were, were dealing with are the bad actions that your kids have. If all you were dealing with was the actions, that's, that's fine, but you're not dealing with just actions. You're dealing with something deeper. You're, you're, you're dealing with something more deadly. And that's sin. That's sin. The Bible states very clear that sin blinds. Sin blinds. 
Your kids don't see themselves the way that they should see themselves. The Bible states very clearly that one of the most dangerous aspects of sin is the fact that it blinds. It blinds. In Isaiah 43, verse 8, Bring forth the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf and yet have ears. Matthew 15, 13, Let him alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, this, is, this shows you the insight that the Holy Spirit gives us in, in the New Testament. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. You become blinded. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, this is why church is so important. This is why um, having a community of believers is so important. Because the blindness of this world and the blindness of sin will lead you astray and will destroy you. How, how many people, you, you've seen people do that. They, they start a good work in Christ. They get, they get hooked up with the church. They start going and then all, life's going good and all of a sudden they just disappear. They get too busy. They do whatever it is. And then you run across Crossed them later in life, and, and either their life has fall apart or they're just bitter and mean. See, we keep each other accountable. The things that you're blind to, other people can see. And when people point out your blindness, you should give them a great big hug. Because they're telling you something because they love you. I mean, there's some people that are just rude. There's a nice way to go about it. But you know what I'm saying. Because it's hard to point out people's blindness. But when you do, that's the ultimate act of love. Sin blinds. And guess who it blinds best? Me. It blinds you. Right? Because it doesn't blind you to the sin of your wife. It doesn't blind you to the sin of your husband, does it? It doesn't blind you to the sin of your children. It doesn't blind you to your neighbor's sin or your co-worker's sin, does it? Sin blinds the individual. That's, that's living in sin. Sin blinds. And your children are blind. They don't realize what it's... What sin is trying to do to them. And we are very surprised. Some of us are very surprised when the word of God just reveals our blindness. And you don't realize what sin was doing to you. And it was destroying you. It was changing your whole attitude. It was changing your outlook on life. It was changing your relationships with other individuals. And it's just like the scales fall off our eyes and you, I can't believe that I was that crazy. Sin makes people crazy. They do crazy things that a normal people would not do. 
And this is what we're dealing with with our children. They're crazy. They don't see. They don't have wisdom. They don't have knowledge. It's bad enough that sin causes your children to rebel against authority, to want to write their own rules, and to therefore do what is wrong. But as you're dealing with these things, you're also parenting a little person who does not see their, their sin or themselves correctly. They don't see themselves that way. Your children are not just selfish and rebellious. They are blind. What by God's grace is clear to you is not clear to them. And you guys, it's just not your children. You, you have friends that are that way. That you can, by God's grace, you can see what is wrong with their life. But they can't see it. It seems so obvious. But they can't see it. What seems so obvious to you is not obvious to them. They think they are okay, but they're not okay. They think that they're right, but they're not right. They think that they have decided wisely, but they have been foolish. Spiritual blindness is unlike physical blindness in one specific way. When you're physically blind, you know it. And you make, you compensate and make adjustments because of it. But when you're spiritually blind, you don't know it. And because we don't know that we're spiritual blind and, 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 and we don't make the necessary life corrections to change it. And so we're always bumping into stuff in life. We're always bruising up our shins. Busting our nose when we hit the door. And we don't realize it's because we can't see. Sin makes us all too self-assured and self-reliant. Really, that's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark of God's perfection. And how do we miss the mark of God's perfection? By relying on your own self. You being your own God. Sin causes us to see ourselves as okay when we're not okay. Sin causes us to resist correction and to be offended and defensive when we are confronted. Sin makes us uh, activate our inner lawyer and rush to our own defense when it would be better for us to listen, consider, and be willing just to confess. This is all sin. When you go to correct your child and they start arguing back and justifying what they did, it's a sin. They, see, they don't see. They don't see their behavior as wrong. And it's the same thing with us. Does that, any of that remind you of your last argument with your spouse? <laughs> the inner lawyer comes out. You justify what you do. You make your defense. Maybe you do it with your boss at work. Wouldn't it be easier to say, you're right. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I confessed I was wrong. I apologize. Forgive me. It's over. 
Like our children, we are, we are all in the need of a father who will patiently work over a long period of time to help us see. We need a father who in his mercy will not demand instantaneous change. Think about this. Most of the frustrations that you have with your children is because you're demanding instantaneous change. You're demanding something that God doesn't even demand from you. And you're not seeing. We get upset because we have to parent. (laughs) Think about that. It's like you're you're an accountant, and you get upset because you got to do math. You got to crunch numbers. You're you're, you're the bank teller, and you get upset because you got to count money. That doesn't make any sense. You are a parent. You should not get upset when you have to parent. There's a lot of reasons we get upset because we have to parent. Because we're too busy for our children. We're too busy to parent. And we don't see what a great priority children are. And our culture is reaping the bad choices of parents. Like our children, you and I do the same wrong things over and over again because we are not only blind, but we are blind to our blindness. We need compassionate, patient care if we are ever going to change, and so do our children. So how should all of this restruct, restruct and reshape the way that we think about the task God has called us to as parents? Well, number one, you have to renew your mind to this truth. You need to parent with a process mentality. Seldom is change the result of a dramatic moment. A dramatic moment might open your eyes finally. But there still is that renewing process that has to, a way of thinking that has to be renewed for the ultimate change to happen, right? There might be a crisis event in your life that the scales come off and you realize what sin has been doing all along, but there still is that process of renewing and reprogramming your mind. The Heavenly, the heavenly Father of you and your children, design parent, Parenting to be a bit-by-bit, piece-by-piece process. He has called you to take advantage of little moments of life and to take little steps with your children. Creating God consciousness. Go back to lesson one. Creating a God consciousness and constructing a biblical worldview in your child. In each of those moments, you are giving the Holy Spirit of God an opportunity to do things in your child that you cannot do. Your children need to see, again, I've been saying this through the whole message, but the, your children need to see you dependent on God, dependent on the Holy Spirit, dependent on, on, on the grace of God, that you're not a self-made woman, that you're not a self-made man, that mom and dad are dependent on God. And if mom and dad have to be dependent on God, maybe I, have to, I should think about being dependent on God also. 
Number two, you need to see parenting as one unending conversation. How many times as a parent have you said, I've told you over and over and over again. In that moment, I pray that the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear, I've told you over and over and over again. But this is so freeing. It's freeing to know that you don't have to see your child change in a moment. You know that this conversation is only one moment on an ongoing conversation. Here's what you're committing yourself to. Many, many moments. You're going to do the same thing over and over again. And each time you're going to reveal the grace of God. Each time you're going to reveal God's um, empowering Holy Spirit. Each time you're going to point to God's grace. You're going to point our need to a Savior. And sooner or later, the blindness will disappear and the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ will manifest in their life. It may be a few moments at bedtime. It might be a brief talk at the dinner table. It might be a few careful chosen words at the mall. It may be a few comments after school. It may be in the back and forth discussion in the SUV. Those conversations are going to come up and you won't be prepared for them. You ever notice that? Deep conversations come up. <laughs> I'm just thinking of a, my, my, my boy came home. He rode the school bus. They usually don't ride the school bus home. And he came home and asked what a certain thing was. And uh, Amanda told him, that's a discussion for your dad. He never came and talked to me about it yet. He thought it was something that you did with your hair, but uh, <laughs> but you're not prepared. Do you know why it's so good that you're not prepared? Because in those times, if you're smart, if you're not blind, you can say, "Holy Spirit, give me wisdom." You can depend on God rather than yourself. You are called to be thankful for each one of these moments and for the incremental steps that are being taken to rescue, restore, and transform your child. Number three, you need to parent with a project mentality. You know your children. You know where they tend to be weak. Blind, tempted, rebellious, and where they struggle. You know this already. Guess what? That's great. You should be prepared for it. Why do we get surprised when we know what our kids struggle with, what they're blind to, what they don't see in themselves, and then they act that out? And it comes as a shock, and we get mad and upset. Why would you get upset about something you already know? Instead of trying to shine light in those situations, and not only in those situations, but before it happens. 
calling out and showing them who they are in Christ, who they are in Christ and what God wants to do in them before a situation arises. The problem with most of us is we think we only parent when we're disciplining. The majority of your parenting should happen when there's, you're not disciplining. And if most of your parenting is done when you're not disciplining, guess what? You won't have to do very much. Not discipline as much. You know your children. You know where they tend to be weak, where, they, where they're blind, tempted, and rebellious, and where they struggle. So you look for opportunities to address what God has shown you about the needy heart of each individual child. And it's different between children. What this means is that every day you look to engage your child with consideration of what you already know is important. And you're sitting here thinking, yeah, this sounds like a lot of work. I don't got time for this. Your priorities are really screwed up. When we do not have a project mentality, we tend to see these moments as interruptions. They're hassles. And because we do, we tend to deal with them emotionally. If you're going to be a tool in the hands of the Father, you need not only to submit to his work, but also commit to his character. You are Jesus in your home. I've said that many times. What gets in the way of good parenting is not the lack of opportunity. What gets in the way of good parenting is not the character of your child. What gets in the way of parenting is one thing and one thing only, the character of the parent. I'm just talking to myself too. We turn God-given moments of ministry and reasons, as reasons to be angry. We respond with impatience to moments where patience is required. We throw threats at moments where quiet wisdom is needed. We take personal offense in places where we're being called to, to compassion and understanding. We're often mad at our children, not because they have broken God's law, but because they have gotten in the way of the laws of our peace and comfort. There are times when we are demanding, when we should be serving, and sadly, there are moments when we get mad because our children need us to parent them. This way of parenting takes patience, humility, self-control, submission, gentleness, love, faithfulness, and joy. Let's be honest here. None of these character qualities are natural for us. It would be right for us to say, if this is what it takes to be a good parent, then I'll never be one. But the good news is, welcome to the gospel, the good news is that we have not been left to our own strength and resources. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the born-again, God-like Spirit that lives within you, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. If you view these character qualities as moral goals that have to 
that, that you have, to, have been tasked to achieve, they will be unattainable, and it's going to be discouraging. Here's the radical truth that as a parent you need to understand. These character qualities are not a moral standard that God lays before you and waits for you to achieve. They are moral gifts of God's glorious grace. It's who you already are in the Spirit. That's who you are. And we just need to get rid of our blindness. We need suave for our eyes. We need the scales to come off. This means that God knew that apart from his intervening work on your behalf, we wouldn't have a prayer to have these character qualities ruling our hearts and therefore shaping our responses to our children. Jesus died not only to forgive us, but by his grace to also transform us by living through our born-again spirits and not the flesh. You have to be dependent on God. If you want to be successful in life, you have to become dependent on God. If you want to be a successful parent, you you have to become dependent on God. God, why do we get, we Christians are the same as the world. We get born again as fire insurance so we don't, so we can go to heaven one day. But we, day in and day out, we try to live separate from God. We're still eating from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. We know best. We know the best way. God set the whole system up for you to be a shining, glorious example of the kingdom of God. Not through your own effort, not through your own strength, but through humbling yourself and becoming dependent on him living through you. You see how the gospel isn't just for Sunday mornings? (laughs) It's just not about going to heaven. It's supposed to transform every single area of your life. Jesus died so that unloving people would become loving, that complainers would become joyful, that fighters would become peacemakers, that impatient people would grow to be willing to wait, that unkind people would become those known for their kindness. Like your children, you aren't left to parent yourself because God daily blesses you with the presence, his presence and grace so that you can pass the same grace on to your children. Like you, our children, they need to come to confess that they don't measure up. And because they don't measure up, they not only need your parent, parent, parental care, but they also, more importantly, they need the Heavenly Father's lifelong, heart-changing, empowering grace. And the only way that your kids will see that grace and their need for that grace is if you yourself are demonstrating your need for that grace and you're dependent for that grace. Galatians 6 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And you might be thinking, I've tried everything and nothing is working. My question is, How do you know? 
How do you know it's not working? How do you know what next conversation the blinders are going to come off their eyes? How do you know that the gospel and the grace of God and the spirit of God isn't working behind the scenes to bring sight to our children's blindness? How do you know? The reason why we make, think, make comments like that, I've tried everything and it's not working, is because we believe that the results are evidence that it's working rather than faith that God will do what he said he'll do. He promises, do not lose heart. Some of you, maybe you're losing heart with your children. God promises, don't lose heart. He says, if you don't lose heart, in due time you will reap. If you do not grow weary. Continue moment by moment to, to shine the light of the gospel. Continue moment by moment to show God's grace. Continue moment by moment, even in discipline, the love of God. You must be committed as a parent to a long view, to long view parenting because change is a process, not an event. Amen? You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.